You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and my guest in this episode is Judith Beck. Judith is the author of the salaciously titled book, No Sex at Work. But it's not what you think. It's not all about the famous federal government's bonk ban. No, this is more meaningful than that. Judith is interested in how we can take control of our professional lives rather than be defined by our gender. It's a book full of career tips and strategies to help you thrive. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Judith Beck. Judith Beck, welcome to the Team Guru podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Now, Judith, your book, your recent book is called No Sex at Work. And I'm going to admit to you how much of an intellectual midget I am. When I first read the title of your book, I thought you were referring to something along the lines of the bonk ban from our former prime minister. Have (laughs) any others been confused about that like I have? (laughs) Yes, they have, actually. There is a chapter that does talk about those types of things. And, uh, as I, I think I, my last sentence in the book is, and don't do that either. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny you say that one sentence is what it took because when I saw the title of your book, I thought, well, wow, that's an interesting topic and quite topical, but how did you squeeze it? How did you drag that out to make a whole book out of it? So I was a bit confused by that. And you're right that that is just really one sentence and your book is obviously much more meaningful than that. We're going to get into two really important questions later. I'm going to ask you about the top tips for leaders and the top tips for individuals who don't want to be determined by their gender at work. And I think that's the really important points that we'll get to. But before we get there, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you landed on this as the topic that you were going to write a book about, because you've had a long career in executive recruitment. You've done a lot of things in in your career. You would have seen a lot of things that are important for individuals. I'm intrigued as to how you landed on this is the most important. I guess it's sort of when it's all said and done, this is the thing that you've extracted from your career as the number one issue. Absolutely. Well, you know, my career spanned 25 plus years, years interviewing executives and placing senior executives within financial services. And one of the things that I that stood out for me was leadership is not a gender or any other label. And so how do you get from A to B as a business person? That to me was the most important issue. And I just looked at my own career and my my background. I, I grew up in a family of six. There were five girls and a boy. And I had a supportive mother and a supportive grandmother and father. And I never thought of myself as a gender when I went into my first role. I didn't go into my first role and go, oh, I'm a girl. I'm a woman in this role. I'm going to be discriminated against and guys are going to hit on me. (laughs) I didn't think that way. It didn't even cross my mind. I thought, what do I need to do as an individual business person to get from A to B? What are the skills that I need? What do I need to do? But the main thing is because of the upbringing that I had of a no label kind of environment, I knew how to handle myself when things did arise. So I had the the skills given to me through my upbringing to be able to 
identify this isn't quite right and how am I going to handle it as a business person, not a gender. And and so that's really what I wanted to do was inspire people to see themselves as individuals and what do they need to get from A to B. It's about learning certain skills and behaviors. And if there are barriers, whether real or perceived, how to knock them down and how to handle the situations in the workplace when they arrive. That's the main thing. So when did it first slap you in the face then? If you came into your professional life from this idyllic background with your family, where, as you say, there were no labels, when was the first time that you realized, hey, this gender thing, especially in the workplace setting, has real impact on people's lives and careers? When did that first hit you? Well, I think, you know, running an executive search firm, you really get to know what's going on within organizations. And so you're working with senior people, they're taking you into their confidence, they're providing you briefs. At that time, I mean, when I first started, and even well and true, truly into my career, most of the senior executives were met at those senior levels, right? And they weren't briefing me, go out and get me more men. Right? They were saying, I want the best person for the role. And this is most of them want, they want a diverse. Nobody wants to have same, same. That most good leaders want diversity in their teams because that's a diversity of thought and, you know, it's more ideas. They don't want clones of themselves. So I would see that, okay, what is it that you're looking for? And so then I would go out and try to find who they were. And what I would find was that it was about the guys had more of them had certain behaviors or skills that were learned through their, the minute they walked into the working environment because of who their advocates were, because they had lots of, lots of advocate and the women didn't. And so it wasn't because they were men, it was because they had different support systems. So it wasn't about gender at all. It was about support systems and lack of support systems. So when I saw the people who were succeeding, and also there were lots of women who were also succeeding and getting to senior roles too. So why were they succeeding? Why did I succeed? Because we had things in common about, we had people in our corner at an early, in our early lives through school and support systems. And support systems are very, very important. Because if you have people in your corner who are saying, go for it, what have you got to lose? And we'll help you through it. It's going to make all the difference in your career. And the guys tended from the time that they started in their first role, they tended to collect advocates and people that would help them where the girls would wait to be asked. So those are learnt. Those are learnt things. Those aren't genetic. (laughs) So that's really interesting. You say that when you worked as a recruiter, no one ever said, hey, go and get me more guys. Even though I'm surrounded by guys, I want more guys. But I guess for some of us, we might assume that's the case because they, they, they just thought it was a man's world and men do senior roles. But what you're saying is that wasn't actually true. But what they were looking for in senior roles was a certain type of behavior or a certain set of behaviors. And people came to their attention because they had good connections with it, whether it's in the organization or across the industry. And those behaviors that they were looking for and those connections that meant people arrived in front of them were men things. Men had learned to do that and women hadn't. Have I got that pretty much right? We did a, a survey 
uh, years ago at FRG when I was running FRG. And it was basically due to, to do with how many advocates you have in your corner. So between the male and the female, because we were doing salary surveys and that type of thing during that time. And so the guys on average would have anywhere from eight to 12 advocates in the quarter by the time that they're in senior level roles. And the women would have less than one. And the reason be because the, the boys would start off at, as a graduate and they would get in their first role. And, and basically they go into their first role. They've got the brother, the uncle or somebody in their corner saying, go in there and son and ask for more. And then they go in there and they ask for more and they get it because they'll go into that first interview. Oh, I'm interviewing at JP Morgan. I'm interviewing at Macquarie. I'm interviewing at NAB. I'm interviewing. I've got all these opportunities because someone has prepped them. They weren't born knowing to do that. Right? And giving them some confidence. You can do and it. Giving some confidence. So they go in there, they get it. Then when they leave that first position, if they have a good relationship with their manager, they stay in contact with that manager. There's one and then they start two. collecting them, right? So the girls told us that when they go into their first role, they get the offer for the role. They go, thank you very much right? Because there's no one in their corner telling them, go in there and negotiate more. They just go, thank you very much, excited about the role. Then when they're when they leave to their next position, they don't keep in contact with their past boss for the, these reasons. One, because if it's a male, it wouldn't be appropriate. Mm, my, yeah. If it was a female, I don't want to bother her. Wow. Where, the, where the guys, they didn't care if their ex-boss was a female or a male, right? They just kept collecting them. And and for that reason, if you think about it, while you're going in your career and you've got all, your own little board of directors behind you of all these different people, and you're going into your first management interview to interview for a promotion or to go for a senior role, and you've got five people that you can call to say, how do you think, what, what kind of questions should I ask? How should I approach this? Do you know this person? Because a lot of times they'll call people that will know that person and they'll go, yes, I do. And that's a person who you go in and you better cut the uh, break the ice first mm. and approach. Now they're going to have the edge. Yeah. The inside running. Inside running. And as a recruiter, I saw it all the time. And so we would do as a company, we did the internal recruitment along with the external search. So it was a little bit different model. And that gave us the opportunity to see what was happening internally as well as externally. And so what was happening is that the guys would go for any job that they saw that they that they liked. They didn't care how many boxes they ticked. If they wanted to go for it, they think, what have I got to lose? And then also the managers would say to us, John, he's applied for this role. He's got no hope, right? But put him through the process. It would be really good for him. Yeah. And so John goes through our process does a good job, gets to meet about three people he would have never met in a million years. And the manager still comes back and goes, you know what, John Stills, he's still not up to the role, but wow, but he's, he's impressive. He's on my radar. He's on my radar. Yeah. And John, the next couple that he goes for, he ends up getting one. And the girls, one, they won't go for the internal role unless they tick like eight out of 10 boxes. Mm -hmm. And then the other stat on that is, if they don't get the role, when they do go for the first one, they won't want to go for the second or the third. 
where on average, if you go for an internal position, when you're ticking like four to six boxes, you won't get it till the third time. So what does that tell you? If you stop at the first time, you're going to miss out on your opportunities and you're going to think the company doesn't want to promote you. When in actual fact, you got to keep on going. <laughs> if you just did it two more times. Well, that is really fascinating <laughs> stuff. Now, I have a bunch of questions from what you've just said, but just to clear something up, you're talking as if men and women are very defined. All men are like this and all women are like this. Now, I know you don't believe that. You're speaking generally so that we can understand big concepts. Is it the case that some of the attributes that you've just described that there may be a few women in your past who who have shown those type of behaviors that you just suggested were all about men and the opposite true as well. I'm sure there's there are men that you've met who look at all of the boxes and say, well, I only tick four, so I'm not going for it. And, they, and they, if they do, they give up after their first time and show some of the behaviors that you've just said are typical of women. I'm guessing that's all true and you speak generally so that we can understand the big picture. Yeah, it's only, it's not a gender thing. It's a learnt thing. Mm. So it's only, it's the women that, you know, when the women are doing that now, it's only because that's what they've not learnt to do or learnt to do. And the guys have learnt to, to do because they've had other guys that have told them to do it. So it's not a gender trait. It's more of a learnt trait through the gender. Through the gender. If that makes sense. It makes and so, sense. So because I was one of those women who... I'd go for a role. I didn't even look to see how many boxes I would tick. <laughs> because just going for it. I well, I'd look at it because my, you know, my my sister, because I was the youngest of the five, and of the five girls in the boy, and my and my mother, you know, would say, "What do you got to lose?" I always heard that. What have you got to lose? Go for the role. They'll tell you if you're not right. And the one thing I always thought is that one, they will tell me if I don't qualify for even going for the role. And no one ever told me that during, you know, in the, my early career, no one said, oh, you don't qualify. And then I thought, even if I don't get it, I will have gotten to meet people that I wouldn't have met and I can try to make an impression. So that's a business skill. It's not a gender skill. It's just part of your networking and what you should do to try to network, to meet people within your organization and raise your hand. I mean, my first role into financial services was a receptionist. And I thought I won the lottery. Wow. And that was my first role out of out of university, right? And so my my best friend we'll start he, somewhere. Well my uh, my best friend he I had a business qualifications and he had a law degree and he got the job as the mailboy because that's what they called them back then. And we thought, yes, we got it because the way we looked at it he looked at it that I'm the mail boy. I get to take the mail to every single division, hand it to people personally, make contacts. I thought as a receptionist, they're coming in. And I was only in that role three months. And then I went to credit. And moved and on he, up. He, he got out, out of his role in, in probably the same amount of time. So both of us just saw it as a make an impression, stepping stone. And then people would, well, people would come to me at reception and I'd get to know them. And they'd go, oh, what you know? What's your background? What? Your, oh, have you ever thought about credit? And I go, yeah, that sounds really good. Let me know. <laughs> I have anything you know, plant the seed. And that's how it works. You know, you make the. You got to start building your networks. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. 
Your points about the advocates and the support network are very well made, and so too are the behaviours that are learned through gender, not because of gender. I think that's a really interesting point. So what's your thesis here, Judith? What's the case for change? Is it treating, is it teaching everyone of every gender or or women in particular that, hey, these are learned behaviors and you've learned some restricting behaviors, whereas men generally are, are learning a lot of growth behaviors. Is that your thesis or is there another half as well that's saying to organizations, hey, stop just taking what's in front of you. The thing that walks through the door is not always the best option. Maybe you need to go and look for some quiet ones. Some of the ones who don't have five advocates sending you a positive email. Is yours a dual thesis where you're asking people trying to climb the ladder to think differently and and assess the behaviors that they've learned and also decision makers to look at the candidates differently? Yeah. I mean, when I consult to businesses, that's one of the things that I would really focus on. The best person for the job is not necessarily the person who comes into the interview that you like the best. So, you know, because at a certain level- It highly recommended from five people that you know. <laughs> exactly right. Because- I mean, it's a know, good start, but it's not the be all and end all, isn't it? It's not the be all and end all. And the thing is, is that, you know, I remember one time a client said to me, I need someone to run this dealer group. So in financial services, they have all these financial planning dealer groups and they're bigger sort of companies of some of the larger companies. Well, at that time, and they said, and we don't have a balance in our team. So can you make sure that we have some female candidates in the shortlist? And I said, you know what? There's not one female in this country at the moment that's running a dealer group. And your position description is far too restrictive to even be hiring a female candidate because you're hiring on experience, not on capabilities. And so what I don't want, because I'm pretty sort of forward with my clients, you know, pretty because I look at it as a two-way street. And I would say, I'm not going to just give you some women candidates just so you can pad your shortlist. If you're really serious about it, you've got to change this position description and base it on capabilities because this person will be a next stepper. You're just going through the motions. You're just going through. And I'm not going to take somebody, because with executive search roles, sometimes they take three to six months. And when you go and headhunt a candidate, you unsettle them out of their current role. They put a lot of effort into it. They do a lot of homework and research. They go through an emotional process. And if the company is not serious about, I'm not putting anybody through that kind of process if they don't have a real chance. Hmm. So we had to change. And I, I've consulted to a lot of companies getting them to that point of if you want people to step into a role and broaden, quit swimming in the same pools and then quit asking. I mean, it's okay to ask people for referrals, but let's just say you ask your friend for a referral. Who's your friend? Your friend's probably a lot like you. Your friend's going to refer someone they like. They're going to refer someone they like. And then all of a sudden, you've got a team of clones. And the thing is, is that if you want a really good team, you got to make, you got to go outside the square and swim in pools that you haven't thought of before and look at people from a, a capability. You got to, as a leader, you got to change your mindset. And the first thing you got to do is identify 
that that's the problem, that we're hiring too much same-same, that if we're really, really serious about diversity, and not just gender diversity, it's diversity across the board, you know, diversity of thought, diversity, age diversity, all that, then you really got to identify that that is the problem That's and change your tone. I don't know if you remember in the book, I tell the story about Connie. And Connie is the CEO of a public listed company, probably one of the few. Anyway, Connie goes into the boardroom or they have this, they facilitate this offsite. And she, they go into the boardroom, they have a facilitator. She goes in there and then somebody's late and he walks in and the facilitator goes to that person, killer, how are you going? And he goes, ah, Jimbo, how are you going? And, that, and she noticed that there was this language within the organization of people calling each other by nicknames, Bobo, Billo, Jimbo, you know, that kind of stuff. And so she she decided that, in a way, is setting a tone for the culture that it's blokey and it's, you know, like it's a club. And if you're not part of that club, that you're, you know, there's a familiarity, it's going to make other people feel not involved. There's insiders and outsiders. Insiders and outsiders. So she virtually made a ruling, you have to call everybody by their given name. And she had people coming up to her saying, thank you, because they didn't like their nickname. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how often that is the case. Look, that's all fabulous background, Judith, and, and we'll have people listening who are on the employer side. They're people who hire, they, they're looking for the best candidates for roles, and they know that there is bias built into them, and they want to be better than that. So I'm going to ask you for your top three to five tips for them, and then after that, I'll ask you for your top three to five tips for us as individuals trying to climb the ladder. How do we ensure that we're not defined by our gender? I think that's a really important quality. So uh, a really important question. So let's start with the first one. I'm a leader. I've bought into everything you're saying. I understand that advocates and support groups and behaviors that I recognize are what usually get people over the line in job interviews or to the job interview in the first place. But I, in my organization, I want true diversity, diversity of thought and age and backgrounds and all of those things. What are the tips that you can give me that I can just check off in my mind every now and then to keep me on track? Well, the first thing you do, well, as I said, you've got to acknowledge it and say, we haven't got, we haven't got that diversity. So you've got to put a plan in place. And a lot of times that comes to, with your hiring process. And, you know, what I would see in hiring processes too, is that there wasn't a diverse hiring panel. So in other words, one person would go in, just hire someone. And they wouldn't get anybody else's view. They wouldn't have a panel. And I think it's really important that you have, when you're hiring, especially at the more senior levels, especially, is that you get fresh eye views from people who aren't involved in that area. In other words, you get other managers or HR people in on the interview panel and have a diverse panel. So it shouldn't be all all men and it shouldn't be all women. It shouldn't be, you know, it should be diverse. So then there's a clear... And then also, too, with your with the recruitment firms that companies use, they need to look at who what recruitment firms that they're using and maybe not use the same one every single time. Like you need to have a variety and also 
because they're going to swim in the same pools. Usually they have their their connections. So definitely give one firm the brief. Don't give it out to two or three because that never works. Give it to one firm and give them the brief and let them do their job properly. But make sure that they have a variety of pools and that brief needs to be really specific. You know, sometimes my consultants would come to me and say, oh, you know, I've got this brief and and all that all the client would do would be sending a position description. And I would have this is in the early days of training consultants. And I'd say, that's not a brief. A brief is you have to go into the organization, sit down with the hiring manager, find out what their whole team is. You need to have the whole org chart of of their area, the blend, what are they missing? What are they and what type of person they want? And then you need to then give them a variety. You need to show them a variety. And if they won't do that, we won't take that assignment. Because the candidates aren't walking into a position, they're walking into an environment, an entire ecosystem where there are lots of things going on beyond the bounds of their role. So candidates didn't, um, I mean, look, the candidates, that's right, they're not just going to walk in off the street. You have to go out and find them. But also the thing is, is that I would say to the internal, you know, to the client, that internally, you've probably got a lot of the talent there as well in other divisions. And I, I know it when I've done uh, assignments, I've said to clients, you know, why aren't there any in, uh, women from your organization that have applied for this role? This is a general manager role. This is a yeah. prime role. Yeah. And they'd go, well, they haven't applied. And then I'd say, okay, are you happy for me to headhunt people out of other divisions within the organization for this shortlist. And I'd I'd get approval to do that. And then I would go and I would tap women on other divisions. And then it would just come down to that old, like, oh, the timing might not be right. Or, you know, because they haven't had the advocates in their corner. So I'd have to get them to go forward. Be their first advocate. Be their first advocate. And then also, that also helps the, you know, the hiring manager, the leaders, because they're then looking at talent within their own organization that are different because they do have different capabilities because they're coming from different divisions and they can look within as well as external. So diversity is not, and hiring people is one of the hardest things that anybody would do within an organization. But if you don't take it seriously and if you don't go through a proper process, you're just wasting your time. All right. Now, I'm going to give you four there, Judith. I reckon you hit us with four great points for leaders to think about. First was to acknowledge a lack of diversity, acknowledge the problem first. The second was the hiring process itself. You need diversity on the panel. If you're if you're going to re- attract and recruit different people than you normally recruit, then you need a different process and you need to have some diversity on the selection panel. Number three is to be selective about the recruitment firms that you hire. You need a bit of variety in there. Don't use the same one over and over because they're probably drawing from their same connections. And lastly is a general one, take diversity seriously. If you want diversity, if you've recognized the problem back at number one about a lack of diversity, then you need to be all in and and look around and think broadly about smart ways you can create a more diverse team. Great points, Judith. I hope I've been loyal in summary there. How about 
an individual. How about someone who's listening to this and thinks, yeah, all those things are true of me. I am somewhat a a slave to the lessons and the habits I've learned from other people who are like me. I don't have many advocates in my corner. I don't feel as though I've got people pushing me forward for roles. What are the sort of things that those individuals can do to take a step forward? Well, if the first thing is if someone thinks they don't have enough advocates, that is a top priority. You need to have people, you, you can have it all, you just can't do it all. So you, you got to have people in your corner who you can draw upon, who, and I always say with advocates, when you look for your advocate, your advocates are not the people that you work with within your organization. I mean, it's good to have supporters and people within your organization too, but your advocate should be a person outside your current organization who is one or two levels more senior than you are, because those people are your fresh eye. They can very quickly, when you tell them of a situation, because there's no hidden agenda, they don't have to worry about towing the company line or what they're going to say to you or giving you really good feedback. Those people, because they're not part of it, will tell you what they really think. And they'll give you good, you know, sometimes feedback is not the thing we necessarily want to hear, but we should hear, right? (laughs) And also, internally, people are so scared to give feedback to their employees anymore these days. And the most important feedback that you receive is early in your career. And, you know, I remember when I first started at Citicorp years and years ago, back in the 80s, I first went in there, so excited about getting the role. And my boss said to me, like after about a month, said, Judith, people think you're aggressive. And I went, oh, thanks. That's great. <laughs> and he goes, because I thought it meant assertive. And he, and he goes, no, that doesn't, that's not assertive. He goes, you're, you're too, because I came from an environment where we called everybody by their last name. We said, I need it by five. This, you know, there was no sort of niceties. That was real the, old school. The, yeah, real old school. And where I was going was real open and let's talk about the football. Let's, you know, that kind of thing. Break the ice every meeting. Break the ice. And I went, oh, you mean I should be more, which what he was telling me is what I always wanted to be anyway. Like that, I I preferred what the culture he was telling me about. it's, It's an easy switch then, isn't it? It was an easy switch. But if he hadn't told me that, if he would have been, because he, today he wouldn't have told me that. Today, he would not have told me I was aggressive. He would have been too scared to tell me. And the thing is, I was too aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) And I I appreciated the fact that he he said that to me because then I could change the way I needed to work. I didn't, you know, I got to know my environment. I got to know the people. I got more inclusive, more empathetic. And it changed everything. And I was so thankful for that. And, and you're right, and and it's one of one of the downsides. the The way that the modern workplace has evolved, and there's a lot of good things, and we've made a lot of good progress in in heaps of ways. But you've identified one of the downsides, and you would know much better than me that people aren't willing, as they were in the past, to give hard feedback, things that might be difficult to hear, because they're more worried about how that might blow back on them, and that's a bit of a shame. But your first tip to individuals is to get some fresh eyes or some outside eyes, someone who's more senior than you by one or two levels, 
someone who's outside of the organization, but presumably has the time and the patience and the care for you to hear about some scenarios and some stories so they can give you their honest feedback and their insight. And they're not worried about HR coming and knocking on their door because they're not part of that system, which is one of the reasons why they're the perfect person. That's great. What else as an individual, someone who's bought into everything that you're saying tonight and they know it applies to them and they just want a couple of tips to get better? You need to be confident in communicating and asking questions. One of the biggest things that I saw within organizations that were the problems is misperceptions. And people think, oh, they think that or they think this. or th-. And nobody was confident enough to just ask the question, right? And so, you know, a, a prime example of this was I was running a conference a couple of years ago and a young girl comes up to me and she goes, can I ask you a question? I think I'm being discriminated against. I don't know why I'm whispering because I'm yeah. not. <laughs> discriminated. I don't say discriminated. that out loud. <laughs> I feel like I'm, and I go, okay, tell me what the situation is. And she goes, she was a, what they call a business development consultant. And a business development consultant is like the junior person who supports the business development manager, who is the person who goes out there and gets all the business. So she was saying, I've been giving a panel, they they give them panels of clients to call up and to deal with. And so she goes, I was giving a panel and they gave me all the bad clients. And she was so upset that she was thinking about leaving. And I go, so I said, I couldn't really get into a counseling session with her at the conference. So I made an appointment for her to come into the office. And when we sat down, I said, look, you are not being, I go, that company, because the company she was working for, awesome company. They're so supportive, diverse. They've got good numbers, stats, the whole nine yards. I go, that company is an awesome company. Don't even think about leaving. I go, you are not being discriminated against because she didn't know if they were discriminating because of her gender or her race. So there were two issues there, right? And I said, you're not being discriminated against in any way, shape, or form. You are the new kid on the block. I said, it all new is there's nothing to do with your gender or your race. You're just new. Exactly. I go, are the other business development consultants getting good clients? She goes, no, we're all getting bad clients. I go, exactly. (laughs) Because you're not going to be giving good clients to cut your teeth on. You're going to be giving the the C, what they call the C clients so that you can get experience and then you prove yourself. And then you get the good clients. So <laughs> that's, but, you a, know, that's a really wise piece of advice because it would have been really easy for you in in that situation to think, okay, we've got a woman and maybe she was a black woman. Wow, two red flags. Yeah, you probably are being discriminated and, and go down that path. But you were wise enough to see the bigger picture. That's quite impressive. Most things that happen are miscommunication mm. and you're perceiving something's happening that's not happening at all. And it's really, and I even talk about, in the book, I talk about soft skills mm-hmm. and about it's so important for people to have really good soft skills of being, you know, with your staff or as an employee, you know, saying hello, being inclusive, you know, treating every, don't levelize people. Don't, you know, and what I mean by levelizing is don't put people at different levels. Everybody's the same. Everybody's, one job isn't more important than the other that everybody's got, because if you do, go in and you're a senior person and you levelize. In other words, you just sort of sort of shake, you know, sort of like, oh, that person's not important to me, whatever, and you're not nice to them. They could perceive that as discrimination or 
you being racist when really you're just arrogant. You're not racist. <laughs> you're just rude. <laughs> you're just rude. Yeah, exactly. So the point was, you know, people at all levels need to look at that because people will be perceiving things differently. And the thing is, is that that what I did believe in that particular case with her was that that could have been avoided by a good induction process. Mm. And it could have been avoided by her manager simply saying to her, hey, new kids on the block, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get these clients because you're going to cut your teeth on them. When you prove yourself, we'll give you better clients. Now that one, you know, those couple of sentences would have saved her so much misery (laughs) and double thinking and thinking what's going on. And, um, you know, when I, one of the things that when I, years ago, when I was at Citicorp, they had company cars and everybody in that fleet got a red Toyota, beautiful red Toyota. That when I was the new kid on the block, they had one ugly baby blue Toyota with this ugly brown interior. It was so ugly. And I got that car. And so I could have gone, why did I get the ugly? I knew why I got the ugly blue Toyota because I was the the new girl. And I had it for a few months. And then I was very happy to give those keys to someone else. I got my red Toyota. And that's the way it works. You know, you're so right, Judith. There are so I've done a number of podcasts on it. I, I observe it in workplaces all the time. Just that imprecise communication or sloppy communication or or the thing that needs to be said that hasn't been said, or the question that should have been asked that no one's willing to ask makes all the difference. I mean, you know, the most obvious example, how often are you in a meeting where you're absolutely bamboozled by what's being said and you're you're assuming everyone gets it but you and you must have missed something and that's why you don't understand it. But how many times have you been brave and asked and then someone will say to you later, I'm so glad you asked that question. I had no idea what was going on. And it, it horrifies me to think how often that is going on around workplaces. And I listen to it. I listen to people and the words they use and the way they explain themselves. And it's just not clear. It's not precise. It's not what they really want to say. And it leads to all sorts of knock-on effects. And we've all seen that. So be that person who explains themselves really clearly and asks the tough questions or the question that you think needs to be asked. And it might, I might fall flat on my face here, or I might save everyone in this room half an hour. And that's a really brave thing to do. All right, Judith. Now we're very quickly running out of time. We've got time for one more top tip for individuals who don't want to be defined by their gender at work. I think that not being, well, not being defined by their gender at work. I think the main thing is, is like I said, is just do not focus on you as a gender. Just focus on you as an individual and what do you need to do. But if there is a negative situation that you feel uncomfortable with or there's an issue that has arised, you need to ask. If you don't feel comfortable addressing it right then and there, you need to ask your advocate. You need to ask, nip it in the bud, do not let it go you know, drag on because you will perceive, have I got one time, uh, time for one more little story? Absolutely. Well, this girl, this girl rang me up a couple of years ago. This is when I was running financial executive women and she had just gotten a new boss and the new boss said to her, called her. She goes, I think I've upset my new boss. And I go, okay, tell me exactly the situation. And she goes, he called me on my phone, which was in her car driving down the freeway, which, and he asked her, what do you think of, you know, the division? What do you, what do you think's broke basically? And so anyway, 
first mistake, never answer those kind of questions when you're driving down the um, down the Monash freeway because everybody's yelling at each other. <laughs> so anyway, she proceeded to tell him everything that was broke and what was wrong. And he's like, oh, okay, thanks. And I went, oh my God. I said, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, if I would have heard that as your manager like that, I would have thought, she's not on the bus. She's yeah. going to be hard work. And I go, you told me everything that was wrong, but you didn't give me one solution. Mm -hmm. I said, so now this is what I want you to do. I want you to get on the phone to him. And I want you to say, I hope my passion for the business didn't come across as negative. Mm. I was in the car fighting traffic. Can we meet? Now, to his credit, he said, oh, my God, thank you. It did. I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> so because she said, I want to tell you what I think we need to do. Because I said, every manager just wants someone. They don't want you to come into their office and go, here's the problem, Mary. Thank you. It, you know, you fix it and then walk out the door. They want you to come into the office. Here's the problem, Mary, but I have an idea how we can fix it. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get promoted. And the will and the skill to execute it. Exactly right. You know, and the, and the thing is, is that you've got to be, you've got to think about your job as I'm a person that's in this business to help them succeed, in turn, I'll have a good career. So I have an obligation to yeah. speak up and to ask questions, to give suggestions. You know, those boardroom meetings that, you know, the ones where you go into the boardroom and everybody's it doesn't understand and no one's talking up. A lot of times I get people who say, when I've gone into my new team, I feel like I'm cellophane. Because I go in there, everybody knows everybody, they're having the meeting, and I don't get a word in edgewise. And then I have to say, well, you need to put yourself on the agenda. Once you're on the agenda, they have to stop. <laughs> and they will, <laughs> because that's what they've been taught to do. Like, exactly. like good, good little professional robots. That's right. And that's just people being familiar with the people that they work with. And they're not going to be familiar with you until they get to know you and work with you. And you've got to speak up to do that. You know, when people get made redundant, you know, when they go through those big redundancies, they I hear this all the time where they say, oh, I can't, I, I'm too scared to give my ideas. I'm too scared to, to talk up because, you know, I don't want, uh, you know, I don't want the company to get mad at me and I'm just going to sit back and be quiet. And I'm going, the quiet ones that sit back aren't the one the company are going to, to keep when they do a restructure. They want people who have ideas. So, Keeping quiet during a big restructure is the wrong, That's not the wrong strategy. <laughs> That's a very good piece of advice to finish on. Judith Beck, I very much enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for coming on the Team Guru podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. And that was Judith Beck, passionate, experienced, and committed to helping us all see ourselves as an individual rather than the gender we happen to be. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Judith on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Yeah.